Welcome to the first episode of Starts at the Top, our brand new podcast about leadership, digital culture and change. I'm Paul Thomas. And I'm Zoe Ammer. And over the next five weeks, we'll be bringing you interviews with leaders from the public, private and third sector who are using digital to navigate uncertainty and forge a path to the future. We originally came up with the idea for this podcast before the COVID-19 crisis, but the mission remains the same. Our podcast isn't about shiny corporate case studies. It's about the lessons learned and progress made in digital the hard way and how that can inspire others. Digital was upending every industry, even before the crisis hit. But now disruption has accelerated and we want to look at the shared challenges uniting leaders across sectors. What has gone right, but also gone wrong? What do they wish they'd learned earlier? And what practical advice would they give to their peers? We'll also look at how leaders are having to adapt to a rapidly changing, volatile environment and how they can build their resilience and look after their team's well-being amidst the challenges that digital change brings. From our work, we know that it's tough at the top and we want to leave leaders feeling inspired and motivated to keep on pushing for digital change, whether they're getting started or some way down the track. And today we'll be sharing our conversation with Simon Blake, CEO of Mental Health First Aid England. Uh, We spoke to Simon at the beginning of May at the height of lockdown from his partner's dental surgery. So perhaps we should start with some introductions. Um, Some people will know us. My wife, for one, said that she'll listen, which is good. Um, But why are we so interested in all things digital and leadership? Well, I'm Paul Thomas, and I've been working in digitally focused businesses and roles for about 16 years. I started with websites, moved into the digital side of internal comms, and then became fascinated by the opportunity that digital and social media in particular brought to the world of marketing and comms. From there, I got involved in as many aspects of digital business as I could in my role at Grant Thornton, and I've since left to build my own business, helping businesses to develop digital thinking and strategy. Zoe? My name's Zoe Ammer. I run a social enterprise and digital agency, mainly working with charities and also some public sector organisations. And I'm chair of the Charity Digital Code of Practice and trustee of a brilliant charity called Charity Digital Trust. And between us, I think we've discussed this long and hard, but we listen to a lot of podcasts. So we're going to find ourselves begging, borrowing, stealing from a few of our favourites as we find our feet with our own. Simon's interview took place at the beginning of May. And my goodness, a lot has happened in the world since then. Each week we'll discuss something interesting that we've read or listened to, something that's happening in the news or anything that relates to leadership and leadership culture. Uh, And Zoe, the the past two weeks has been dominated by one subject. Absolutely. So I think normally at this point in the podcast, we would talk about something that's been happening in tech news and chew the fat about that. Uh, But it really feels wrong to be talking about anything other at the moment than obviously the, the, the huge story that we've seen over the last few weeks um, around Black Lives Matters. And an article about this really caught my eye. And I thought it was something which would be very pertinent to our listeners, uh, which was a fantastic piece that Mark Ritson wrote for Marketing Week, which was about how organisations need to 
perhaps think beyond uh, paying lip service to the cause or saying, yes, we're going to, to, to do things differently and not really put any weight behind that claim. Uh, and, and there's a fantastic article that Mark wrote, which we will put in the show notes, uh, which explains how he actually went and, and looked at some of the organisations who uh, tweeted about the Black Lives Matter campaign. And there were some who were holding them up, themselves up to scrutiny and talking about how they were going to set themselves targets and do things differently. But there were others when he actually dug behind the content and in particular looked at representation on, on their boards and discovered that they were not very diverse at all. Uh, so I thought this article was, was incredibly refreshing and asks a really important question about what we are really prepared to do uh, to really put our money where our mouth is on what we, we profess to say about our values and what we're willing to do differently as a result. And I think a lot of the examples in that article were uh, sports brand related and a lot of the sports brand was sort of clapping themselves on the back and saying um, you know we've we've shared some content about the the subject we've included the hashtag we've blacked out our communications for for the for the day or whatever it was they choose chose to do and yet the the, the pictures that he shared of their boards were almost entirely white if not exclusively white I think in the case of a couple of of, of the brands that he showcased the actual sports stars the basketball stars, the, the footballers, a great number of the, the people that, that wear the shoes and represent the brand in, in day-to-day life are black. Um, and I think there's, there's some really big questions to be answered with a lot of brands, especially those brands going out and trying to say something on social media without the means to, to back it up. So I think it's something that we need to, to keep in mind as well as we, as we progress this podcast and, and make sure that we include a, a diverse list of people that we bring into the podcast and want to talk to. I completely agree with that and I think it's so important that we hold ourselves to account on that and we also encourage our listeners even if it is just your wife at this stage Paul good on her uh, <laughs> to encourage our listener or listener uh, to, to really challenge us on that as well uh, and we would also be really interested to hear about any other examples of um, black digital leaders or digital leaders from wider BAME backgrounds as as well who who we may not have have come across before um, just to make sure that we are, are, are really interviewing as, as diverse and as wide a group of people as possible so we can use the the platform which we hope to build here to help others so that's our pledge uh if you if you want to get in touch with us and and send us some ideas we'll be sharing some details with how of how you can do that at the end of the podcast today saw the government reverse its decision on um school meals for children um thanks to uh, a remarkable letter and I'd hesitate to say social media campaigns, but what Marcus Rashford, the Manchester United footballer, has managed to do in the space of 24 hours um, really shows the type of leadership that I think we ought to all applaud and really holds uh, a light, shining light up to the type of leadership that this country um, is experiencing at the moment and for, for a number of years, but certainly at the moment, it seems that the 
the leadership is very indecisive, happily in, in this instance, indecisive in the right way, because they've done a complete U-turn on even what they were saying yesterday, we're recording this on Tuesday, and even yesterday they were f- sort of almost fighting back against uh, Mar- Marcus's letter. And today we saw the complete U-turn. And I think uh, what we ought to do with this podcast is is look at leaders that we we see in the media, Nor- wouldn't normally be on our radar, I think it's fair to say, Zoe. Yes, that's correct. I I know nothing about football. (laughs) Simon Blake is CEO of Mental Health First Aid England, a social enterprise with a vision to improve the mental health of the nation. And their work has never been needed more than it is right now. He is Deputy Chair of Stonewall and has chaired the Social CO's judging panel for the last seven years. He's a runner, horse rider and dog lover. Welcome to the podcast, Simon. Thank you very much. And to say you're involved in Social CEOs, you founded Social CEOs along with Matt, uh, Zoe. So no, no humility uh, here at the beginning, please. And you are recording from um, a, a wonderful and intriguing setting today. Do you want to, to tell us about where you are? Sure. So um, I, my partner's a dentist and uh, I live above the dental uh, practice. Um, and that's obviously closed because of COVID-19. Uh, so whilst Johnny wants to work in the kitchen to be away from the dental surgery, um, I need his space away from uh, from Johnny. And it actually means that I get to walk uh, an extra 14 stairs from uh, bedroom to the kitchen and kitchen down to, to this floor. Um, so it feels like I've got a distance between uh, home and work. Fantastic. And I think that really something about how we're all adapting our spaces at the moment, doesn't it? And even if you're in a leadership position, we're all having to think in, in different ways about where we work and, and how we work and, and how we adapt to change. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I guess um, what's what's really interesting, isn't it, about this time is that we, yeah, I can see uh, you know, your bookshelf and your wallpaper and various things which we just never have that sort of um, glimpse into people's homes in the same way that we have now. People with caring responsibilities or uh, you know, needing to, to do other things, whether you're you know, got a trustee role, um, you know, supporting partners with their work, all sorts of things going on and just feels like you know, a very different world than, than eight weeks ago. But gosh, how well people have adapted. So that would be a brilliant place to start from. So, um, I mean, you wrote a, a fantastic blog recently, which um, we will share in the show notes uh, about some of, some of your lessons learned uh, from this, this massive period of change. How have the last few weeks been for you and your team? Well, I think just to sort of, illustrate and I don't need to but I was on holiday I left on the Friday to go to America and you know it was happening but it was it was far away on the Tuesday I say hold on a second it feels like we need to get home this is serious on the Thursday brought forward the flight and on the Monday we went into to lockdown so I sort of left you know one world and came back to a very very different um, one and and I think the reality of that is that you just get on with it but and, and so our team, it felt, you know, very quickly, we paused the business plan, we set some new objectives, and the staff that continued working, you know, all refocused around those objectives, and everyone has done it with huge passion and commitment and determination. But at the same time, I think what we've also seen um, in the last couple of weeks is people going, how long is this going to last? Uh, what does it mean? 
uh, what's it going to happen, both in my personal life and also you know, some colleagues you know, who I think we thought three or four weeks it'll be okay, but actually now as it extends and there's increased uncertainty, I don't know whether something was in the stars last week or whether it was just the moment when we all thought, ooh, what's, what's going on? But it felt like there were a lot more tears uh, the last couple of weeks in my personal life and I know from talking to some colleagues um, in theirs too. But everyone's adapting. Everyone's adapting really, really quickly. And uh, yeah, the subject of this is, of course, digital. Uh, yeah, it's been the best crash course in digital. Uh, yeah, I can now do PowerPoints, I can now do Zoom, I can do Teams, I can do Skype, I can yeah, house party even. Yeah, I've had first Zoom birthday party. Um, and all of those sorts of things, which we yeah, perhaps just didn't have to do before, have just been thrust upon us. And, and in those circumstances, you do... And what you what you need to do, and I I know, yeah, everybody uh, uh, that I've spoken to that's sort of about my my age, where we didn't grow up, you know, with with phones attached to us and emails all of the time, and had first job without email, etc. You know, this really feels like it's been a, a another moment in time where suddenly there are so many possibilities and there are so many things. I don't think we can look back from this. That's the key thing, which I think is really interesting. Absolutely. So it's a real moment of change, isn't it? Um, and with the, the, the wider, wider team and I guess your services as, as well, um, what changes have you made in, in how you're using digital there? Well, so Mental Health First Aid England is obviously um, a training organisation um, and almost all of our training, I mean, when I say almost all, 99.9% of our training um, prior to March the 16th was face-to-face. Um, so what we did immediately was the awareness courses and the shorter refresher courses. We said to all those who were um, eligible to deliver those courses, because we have trained instructors who, who deliver on a self-employed um, and employed within um, other companies. Uh, so um, you know, they're, they're employed by somebody else, but they deliver within their organisation. So anybody who is eligible to deliver the half day courses we said go ahead adapt them um, as you see fit um, to do so so people have done it on you know, zoom or other platforms and actually the feedback has been amazing so um, we've been mostly monitoring the feedback forms and uh, the learners have been saying this is a great experience I, and one which really struck in my mind is I wouldn't have known it wasn't supposed to be an online course until the tutor the instructor told me that it was a face-to-face course originally. Um, so uh, over 600 people have been trained in the last couple of weeks and feedback has been uh, really, really positive. Um, we're also now, we have a um, internationally accredited, um, uh, a internationally uh, licensed product, which is the Mental Health First Aid product, um, which is in a face-to-face environment, traditionally been done over two days. Um, we're piloting today um, what's the first, uh, what that program would look like with a combination of self-directed learning and virtual classroom. Um, so, you know, those sorts of conversations weren't being had eight weeks ago. You know, we really, you know, shifted into that space. And, and of course, there will be some people who um, actually think it's better to do uh, it in a digital virtual classroom and, and online. And some people who will still hanker after the face-to-face at some point, but certainly um, instructors that I'm speaking to are saying, 
I would never have thought that I was going to be doing this in this way, and I am, and I'm enjoying it. No travel, greater flexibility, people from different environments. So there's all sorts of, of, of benefits that are, that are coming from this as well. That seems to be cross-industry as well, because my wife works in a university and they've had to redirect all their courses to online learning. I mean, it was just in the news at lunchtime, they said that the, um, the perception from the universities is that courses won't go down in cost either. Um, so that they will continue to cost the same because actually the same amount of work is going into uh, designing and delivering. It'd be interesting to just get your thoughts on whether the the work that you're putting in feels like it's something extra or does it feel like it's becoming the new normal? So the the key thing for me is that the learning outcomes uh, are the same. It's the methodology that is uh, that is different and because I think traditionally we think of online, and I've done a couple of MOOCs, the Mass Open Online Courses. Um, if I can't see my horse, I'll do a course in equine uh, welfare and management, uh, one around the science of well-being and happiness. And that's very much about pre-filmed information, uh, you know, a set of videos, a set of quizzes, a set of reading. Um, and that is different, of course, than an instructor working with you in a virtual classroom. Um, and and so I think there were, we, we're going to have to get more sophisticated, aren't we, about what we are calling something because an online course that has been posted and it doesn't matter whether one person does it or two million people do it because it's all automated. Um, yeah, and there's some admin behind, but it, it's very different than tailored, personalized, take the same amount of time, uh, uh, you know, all of those sorts of things. So, yeah, I went into a uh, virtual classroom proper virtual classroom for the first time last week and that of course is definitely as much time and work creates all sorts of flexibility you might be able to do it in the evening or you might be able to do it over you know different times of day and, and all sorts of things because people don't have to travel so they don't have all the time when it comes to something like a university if you're expecting lecturers to deliver just in a, a lecture a virtual lecture hall rather than a, a real one then yeah, the, the overheads and all of those sorts of things. Costs will remain. And I think that's, that's, that's going to be a, an interesting conversation, is it, as, as, as we move through. Where, where does it become cheaper to produce or of less value? Yeah, there is a question about what is, what is the, the value which we need to be really clear about. I think one of the things that's been really interesting has been how much free content that has been produced yeah, over the last few weeks and, and people willingly lending their expertise um, and, and providing their time to free webinars. I've done you know, a number of them myself and it's really important. You know, we've got skill and expertise in mental health. This is a particular time. We have a responsibility to share that. Um, but businesses won't survive on providing everything for free. And so we're probably yeah, an Uber moment or a music industry and live streaming moments in terms of what's of what the social sector will and can provide and how it will do that that's fascinating so there's um some really interesting changes to be navigated there aren't there about how we provide value and how people recognize that that's always been the same hasn't it with digital i think well, you know zoe and i working in this industry for a while digital has always been perceived as the easy thing digital marketing well that must be easy because it's the internet so it must be cheap um, where actually the, the real expertise and the knowledge that goes into delivering a good digital product is, is if bigger, if not more, than, than um, 
and then the non-digital. So uh, interesting. Yeah. There's nothing worse, is there, than a website that's just full of those crap reports that you couldn't be bothered to publish, but you thought they needed to be put somewhere. Is <laughs> is yeah? Actually, it takes it takes um, a different skill set to produce really good digital learning and and, and digital uh, products and websites and things. But it's not a lesser one. But I think that is obviously you know, the the challenge that we have. And coming back to your um, brilliant blog that you. Uh, wrote recently about learning from a month of, of working from home as you said earlier it's, it's a huge change for teams it's, it feels like a, a, a big societal shift as much as an organizational shift how can leaders support their people during this time you know we're several weeks into lockdown people are exhausted they're doing constant zoom calls um there's lots of uncertainty and anxiety. How can leaders support their people with their mental health and, and well-being? It's having a hyper awareness, isn't it, of what we are going through and recognising our own you know, uh, ups and downs um, within within that as well. But yeah, I think we have, um, for example, noticed that everybody is going back to back Zoom calls. So we've asked people to make meetings 50 minutes if it was going to be an hour and 25 minutes if it's going to be half an hour. Um, and and when we asked people to do it, my first thought was, is this sort of nanny state? Yeah, is this, but actually giving people permission to do it differently, I think is, is, is a really um, important point. We've also asked people not to organize um, meetings over um, lunchtime and to give yourself some time on, on uh, Friday afternoon without having meeting so just recognizing that part of looking after our mental health is is about giving ourselves time to think and time to work not just time to speak um, and time to do Um, and so I think that's a really important piece that you know walking well says all sorts of benefits to um, working from home in terms of journey time and all those sorts of things walking between meetings Our journey to and from work also gives our brain a bit of a rest. It gives it time to process information. It gives you some distance between different bits. So just having that real sense of understanding and trying to help people to put boundaries around it, I think is really, really important. The second is recognising that these are extraordinary times and where Zoe may used to be able to do three reports a week in ordinary circumstances, if you put childcare a bit of anxiety and uncertainty in the mix, you might only be able to do half a report. So, you know, so recognising and reframing what success looks like, uh, understanding the importance of honest um, and truthful conversation and regular honest communication, I think is, is really important. And remembering that at a time when anxiety and the ONS have published their uh, uh, statistics today, which showed an extraordinary uh, uh, rise in the level of anxiety um, amongst the population. So when we're anxious, we don't listen well. We don't always communicate well. We sometimes don't hear. We need telling you know, on numerous occasions. Um, and we will also fill in the gaps when we don't uh, understand or, or recognise. So it's really you know, that bit of communicate, communicate and communicate again, I think is, is, is a really um, key part. But also talking to your team explicitly about mental health and well-being, talking about your own ups and downs, talking about the fact that um, people will have ups and downs and, and giving people permission to talk about those. But I do think that we have had 
bit like a crash course in digital. I think we've had a crash course in emotional literacy. I spend a lot of time at the beginning of meetings talking about how people are and checking in with people and then getting the work done yeah, really, really quickly. The checking in, the understanding of each other is the work yeah, in these circumstances. And I think we need to, to really recognise that. And then to give people space to be creative, I guess would be the, the sort of last piece um, to say that you know, we can put on all sorts of talks and you know, we do, um, uh, yeah, we've got some talking about nutrition and we've got uh, um, radio station, meditation, mindfulness, but they've all come from people in the team saying, I've got this skill or I think this would be useful, not from leaders who you know, in enthusiastic and eagerly create a programme of activity um, which actually may not, you know, hit the button. So giving the team space to, uh, to, to put on well-being activities, to think about social um, activities, I think is, is, is a really critical piece of this because we only, we only have the privilege of providing the space and the leadership. It's helping people to use that space to look after their well-being, which is the important piece, it seems to me. So really crowdsourcing those ideas from, from your team, that's yeah. a brilliant idea. Paul? Yeah, I was just going to say that exactly the same point. Um, crowdsourcing ideas from the team, it's its how innovation comes about, isn't it? You take things away, you restrict the possibilities, and then suddenly uh, that laser focus comes in and people can go, actually, do you know what? Actually, there's something I can do here to help. It's really, really encouraging to see. And, and yeah, I think... You see it all over social media, don't you? The, the ways that people are innovating, whether it's the quiz to mark the end of the week, whether it's the song of the day, or whether it's yeah, the, the um, Spotify list which people are putting together. You know, everybody is wanting people to keep yeah, their, their spirits up and to keep really focused and engaged. And, and you know, 30 people's ideas is, is going to be far more powerful than two or three people sat in a room trying to work out. How to do it. It's a classic of leadership, isn't it? Trust your people, provide the space, encourage and nurture and celebrate is you know, the same, same now. So it's about this collective leadership and about how that model is, is coming into its, its own even more during this time. Yeah, it really, it really is. And, and I think we, you know, we, as I said, we've refocused everyone around six, six key priorities. And what's been really, really powerful is how... Yeah, people have, have really focused around it and led you know, the, on those um, priorities um, and in, in much less traditionally hierarchical ways and would have done in much speedier um, ways, much more communicating that sort of nimble, um, I know agile is overused as a term, but that sort of sense of being nimble and being agile and, and working across boundaries is, is something which I think you know, people are needing to do now um, and uh, and again, we won't go back. Nobody's going. Nobody can look backwards from this and and pretend it didn't happen. Um, and I was just going to ask. I think that's the the entirely positive side of this. But then presumably there are people that are in this situation working from home who don't feel seen, who don't feel able to contribute in the way that they might be able to within the office. You're, you're right. Yeah, we're, we're doing the, the positive piece on this, aren't we? And, and, and part of that is you know, the privilege of me living in a safe you know, uh, home, the privilege of um, being 
um, in a position of, of leadership and I don't have children um, and so far my family yeah, are well. So yeah, in terms of circumstances, uh, it's, it's, it's easy to uh, understand and think about from that perspective. But of course, there will be yeah, this uh, COVID-19 amplifies uh, inequalities yeah, as, we, as we know. Um, and, and I think it is on, on leaders to recognize that this might be more difficult if people, you know, certain personality um, traits, this might be more difficult if people have particular caring responsibilities. Um, this might be more difficult for people who feel really sad about some of their colleagues being furloughed or don't understand why they are furloughed or are still at work. And it's our job, I think, to surface those. This is the bit of, of the honest communication is it don't just communicate the decisions, communicate the rationale. Um, and invite people into uh, uh, conversations, invite people to ask their questions, but you always being clear that we recognise that circumstances are different. We recognise that this isn't easy uh, for everybody and that our job at this point in time is to try and enable it to be as smooth for people as it is possible to be and where it isn't smooth to try and ensure that they have got um, access to help. So. Yeah, they, that openness in understanding, and I think so, yeah, I'm really pleased that you you did raise that point about it. it's not rosy for everyone because it's important for us to to really uh, remember that, and then uh, and for staff to know that we understand that, so that w where there are um, drop-ins, where there are um, opportunities for questions, people feel able to access support, and I guess again. Employee assistance programs are often the best kept secret within organisations, really reminding people about the support that is available, whether you've got mental health first aiders in the business, whether you've got employee assistance program, whether you've got um, you know, good uh, uh, support. Um, and if you don't have an employee assistance program, places like the Samaritans, uh, places like Give Us a Shout, you're yeah, all really important sources of support for people um, who need it. Um, and, and we must talk about that uh, as much as, as the good bits as well. So there's obviously um, huge demands on uh, people's mental health at the moment, as, as we were just, just saying. Um, and as you've described there, they're really well and how there are so many people living in, in this, this, this really uncertain situation. Um, and of course, there's a very significant um, mental health overhead on, on leaders as well during the crisis, whether that is the information that they're constantly getting or, or being on video calls or the, the difficult decisions that, that they need to make um, in, in a very short space of time. Um, so is there anything specific that you think uh, leaders should be doing um, during the pandemic to, to look after their own well-being? Um, eat well. Uh, and when I say well, not perhaps not in the way that I've been eating well I, every time you walk past the fridge, but eating you know, uh, uh, good, uh, uh, nutritious food and drinking lots of water, trying to limit alcohol intake, getting some exercise um, and sleeping as well as possible. You know, so the, the real basics around looking after ourselves and looking after our brain so our brain can look after us you know and then what we eat drink sleep and and, and the exercise we do helps uh, helps all of that it's also i think being mindful that rest is really important so we can't keep going seven days a week and then go again so 
yeah, whether it's in short um, sprints, um, working out what can be done, how it can be done, um, and then moving on to the next thing rather than just having a rolling set of, of issues. So trying to really chunk up um, uh, your work, um, but also working with your team. So you know, not chief exec doesn't have to have the responsibility for everything. There can be different leaders who um, take different responsibilities at, at different days and, and, and different, um, different ways. Um, and then looking for the things which um, give you enjoyment. Yeah, it's been really interesting as somebody who always spends as much time outdoors. Um, I now know, having spent seven weeks indoors, why I spend so much time outdoors. I don't particularly enjoy TV. Um, radio, uh, yeah, at the moment, there's so much news on that it's on constant repeat. So it ends up in it, you know, potentially being constantly connected. Um, and I think it's how we make sure that we get those moments of joy in the day, the things to look forward to. And when we first started, I think everyone was saying, stay connected, stay connected, stay connected. Um, we need another mantra now, which is disconnect, disconnect, disconnect. Um, and making sure that, uh, yeah, we do spend enough time away from the computer screen. It's really, yeah, we do all day. And then, yeah, I'm sure you did the same family, friends. And before you know it, yeah, your whole day has literally been uh, looking at, at yourself often. Because, of course, when you're on these screens, you spend far more time. It's like a constant mirror. For so, and when, uh, yeah, we, yeah, hair and all those sorts of things. But let's not, let's not have that conversation here. But, yeah, finding ways to disconnect, I think, is really, really critical for everybody. And modelling modeling that. Um, uh, and trying, you know, if you're a, five, a Monday to Friday person, how do you demark? You know, it's, it's odd, isn't it, on Friday evenings to sort of how, how do you know it's the Friday evening and how do you know it's Sunday evening you're going back to work the next day? So trying to create some of those routines and structures and, and demarcation feels you know, incredibly important. Yeah, so having that, trying to have some kind of pattern as, as a, a thing to almost anchor yourself on to, to get through this. Yeah, and routines. I mean, I... I I know when I was I'm in the dental surgery now, but when I was on the kitchen table, uh, it was really important to pack up when it was time to eat because otherwise I was eating. It was like lunchtime at work, you know, where you just carry on working over with your sandwich. It's like carry on working with your um, lasagna or whatever it is, you know, and so that packing up and creating a beginning, a middle and an end um, to the day feels um, yeah, really really important. I haven't worn my wedding ring for seven weeks, which feels really odd and, and, and I don't know why. Yeah, there's part of me think, actually I should, but that was always a morning routine and just haven't, haven't done it. But trying to create that sense of routine, having beginning, middle and ends is really critical when we're in you know, this thing that we're in. You have uh, just won a new fan. If my wife listens to this podcast and hears you talking about tidying away the table, she's going to do cartwheels. Excellent. Just so I don't always practice what I preach. <laughs> <laughs> and it was really interesting, Simon, hearing about the shift that you described there to to um, mental health training um, and some of that provision. I mean, some of it has been going online for, for a while, but obviously by necessity, there's been a big uptake in that over the last few weeks and, and the change to your services as well. Do you think that will be a, a long term change? I mean, what does this this mean for people working in, in, in a field like yours? So I do think there's a long term change. I think that we have um, 
a creativity has been unleashed in this moment, hasn't it? You know, as, as much as people are um, up against it, you know, we, we know that that's often when you rise to, to the challenge and, and, and be most creative. And I think that there will be, I'm really excited about the products. It doesn't feel, it is through necessity, but actually I think there'll be lots of people for whom this won't just be an equal learning experience. It could be a, 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 a superior learning experience because it will play into different people's roles. Um, I think there will be some people who will want to go back to face-to-face -face as soon as it's possible to go back to face-to-face. -to -face. And that will always be a requirement for training. But I think there will also be people who will um, have recognised the, uh, the flexibility uh, that working from home provides. There'll be some businesses that are trying to reduce um, costs who will recognise that you can work from home and do things. And in different circumstances, it becomes working from home rather than working from home in the middle of a pandemic, which, you know, of course, if you've got children um, and children aren't at school, um, that's not working from home. That's juggling yeah, lots of things at home you know, in a certain context. So I do think that we, um, we're, we're going to be a whole, whole different period. And of course, we're in this at the moment where we're in lockdown, but we will have social distancing measures for a longer period of time. So we're going to have to adjust to a different set of measures, even when we're not in the house all the time. So there will be some new norms established by the time it would be possible to go back to... Um, you know, life exactly as it was, and and life never does go back exactly how it was after this sort of this sort of period. So, you know, travel travel lines in the in the budget, I suspect, are going to be significantly reduced uh, from here because we've learned that you can do it. I know now that meetings that I've often travelled an hour and a half for and spent an hour and a half talking and then an hour and a half back can be done in thirty five minutes on a Zoom call. I'm not going to spend four and a half hours of my day you know, in future doing that. And I think we've learned that you can create human connection and a, and a perfectly adequate human connection in a way which I think at the back of our minds, lots of us didn't think you could quite do before, but you can, you know, it is absolutely possible. And I think we'll be taking that into the future for sure. And thinking about that digital first society, which we are likely to see post-pandemic, um, how do you think leaders in, in civil society and, and in some of the, the, the wider organisations that, that you work with, how do you think we can all prepare for that? I mean, the first is that uh, you've used the word the new normal. And I think that that is a really important uh, phrase. So we've, we're talking about all of our work in you know, responding to the immediate crisis, responding to normalised crisis, road to recovery and new normal rather than back to normal. I've seen a few back to normal and it feels to me like we're not going back to normal, we're going forward to a new, a new one. So really um, thinking about that now, understanding that, what does that mean for our services? What does that mean for uh, the way that we are um, going to use office space, that we're going to use training spaces? What does it mean for the way that people um, will want to access um, services and what does it mean for uh, uh, you know, moving forward into a space where perhaps you know, we were already becoming uh, a bit um, boundaryless uh, within uh, you know, the way that we access emails and the 24 um, on um, you know, always on culture which you know was impacting on mental health so hopefully this will also take us into a position where we'll recognize the disconnect is as important as the connect and move into that new, new sort of space. But you know, for, for all of us, we're going to say, 
what are we learning now that we want to either make sure um, informs positively or in a way that we don't want you know, to have moving forward so that there is absolutely that sense um, of it. What are people going to want? What is the new reality going to be um, for people? Because there will also be anxiety. Um, yeah, we know that there'll be anxiety about uh, social distancing and, and connections for a while beyond here. So what do we need to, to think about in relation to that? What does it mean for flexibility and trust in our workforces? Because yeah, we, we've seen that you have to trust and when you trust people can be trusted and um, which yeah, most of us hopefully knew and um, before but we've really seen it with spades on and um, now and we've also seen uh the importance of flexibility so yeah we've just got to start embracing it and I, I i think i was talking to somebody the other day who said yeah how are you as a team working through those things and uh, in the next two or three weeks yeah we've just got to get you know, past this initial stage, we're going to start to need to reflect on um, what this means for the future of the organisation, what this means for the way that we deliver things, what this means for the way that the workforce will, will work. So I guess that, that's the question, isn't it, on all areas of your strategy, your business, your plans, what does this mean about what the future looks like, um, recognising that we've all learned how to use digital because also the biggest barrier to digital working is always the human being that works the digital. It's not the digital. Um, and that's, that's what I've uh, uh, really learned from this. The things that definitely didn't used to work digitally are because I couldn't make them work digitally in this last six or seven weeks. I've had to learn how to do it. And it's possible. Most things are possible. Brilliant. I think that's that's a, a great um, soundbite um, that we should all have on, on our T-shirts to get us through um, the, the next few months about the, the art of the possible. Paul, that's are there any, anything else you, you want to ask? No, I thought that was a great note to end on. And you're absolutely right. Let's get the T-shirts printed up because um, <laughs> we, could, we could do with the revenue stream. <laughs> sell them online though there's always a place for digital yeah yeah um no thank you that was that was great i think um i think we've covered a lot of ground and i think it's really a, a really interesting angle um to to look at and appreciate looks like uh, zoe's being disrupted somewhat <laughs> We're getting um, the tour of Zoe's house. Like. Yeah, sorry about this. Just because my, my husband came in and then started doing this call to the States. Um, <laughs> so I, I need to go and talk somewhere quiet. Not least because I need to say a big thank you to Simon as, as, as well. And and halfway to... through that, don't worry, Johnny started. Our living room is above here. And just, yeah, almost like he did some kind of share routine. Yeah, I don't know quite what happened, but I hope you can hear it. Share <laughs> there was no way my eyes could go through the ceiling anyway. But... Laser eyes. <laughs> they're, both, uh, they're both in such trouble later on. I can feel it. <laughs> just yeah. remember to clean the kitchen table, otherwise you will be as well. And then there's all three of us. Do you know what? I just got a message from my, my wife. So I did um, some podcast editing this morning. Uh, then I went down and did some homeschooling. And once that was done, I um, I made a pie for dinner. And she's just sent me a message saying, pie will be ready at quarter past five. It looks amazing. So I'm I'm in the good books. Excellent. Good, good, good. <laughs> All right. Enjoy. Thanks very much for asking me. And um, let me know when it's done and we'll promote it, obviously. 
And a massive thank you to you, Simon. That was absolutely superb and has given us so much to think about and lots and lots of food for thought for, for leaders in all sectors. So thank you so much for taking the time to, to share your pearls of wisdom. No, pleasure. Thanks for asking me. Have a good evening. So a massive thank you to Simon there. I, I vividly remember when we did that interview of a few weeks ago, and I think it was a, a day, if, if I can speak for Paul, when both of us were feeling a bit tired and a bit low and lockdown had absolutely sent everyone's world topsy-turvy. Uh, and personally, I found that, that listening to Simon was, as ever, incredibly inspiring and insightful. Uh, but particularly that day, it was exactly what I needed to hear. So thank you so much, Simon, for just just being brilliant and I and really giving people the energy and excitement and thoughtful approach for us all to, to keep going over the weeks ahead. Yeah, one one big takeaway from that, Zoe, was um, uh, Simon's comment that uh, we'd all just gone through and taken a crash course in emotional literacy. And I think that's a really pertinent point. Uh, a lot of us have, have feelings that we don't necessarily express. And certainly at this time, where all those feelings are going off in your head like fireworks the whole day. Uh, am I doing the right thing by my kids? How do I how do I get work done? How do they get work done? All of those sorts of things are going through through your mind. And I think that was a really, really key takeaway. Crash course in emotional literacy. And I think we should uh, get that put up on a, on a T-shirt. Yes, I absolutely agree with that. And also, uh, I, I feel a real responsibility to to try and uh, support the people I I, I work with with talking about it sounds cheesy but just to talk about how we're all feeling a bit more uh, and since we had the great privilege of interviewing Simon a, a, a few weeks ago I've actually run a well-being session with with my team because that time with him really made me appreciate and realize how important it is that we all talk about this stuff and we talk about the impact that it's having on us because that just makes it much more normal and everyone much more comfortable with talking about it in the same way that we talk about the weather and he also mentioned i think one thing that was uh, which i think comes up time and time and time again in all of these interviews that we've done and, and all the conversations i've had with leaders over the years that the biggest barrier to digital is actually us the human being and i think that will will come through in all of the all of the conversations that we have in this series of the podcast I think that is going to be a bit of a recurring theme. Uh, so on that note, we've got a fantastic guest lined up next week. We can't say who it is at the moment, but we can't wait to share uh, the interview with you. It's it's another one which which we're really proud of and we're, we're, we're looking forward to getting it out there. Uh, so please keep an eye on your social feeds. Uh, do follow us on Twitter at, at starts at the top one. And we're also really interested to hear what you're going to do differently as a result of hearing from our guests each week. Uh, so please do tweet us with what you thought of the episode and what you're going to do differently as a result. Perfect. And can we just confirm, Zoe, that starts at the top one, starts at the top and the number one at the end. So really all that remains to be said is um, please share the podcast with people. If you've enjoyed it, of course, if you haven't enjoyed it, don't share it with anyone. But if you've enjoyed it, uh, please leave a review. Um, please share it with, with somebody else. 
please follow us on Twitter. Leave us a review. Please do uh, get in touch with us on email as well. We're start at the top podcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your feedback, your questions, and of course, anyone who you think we should be interviewing in season two. Thank you very much. And you have a good evening, Zoe. You too, Paul. See you next time. Bye.